I'm just saying keeping the barrier to entry super low for documentation feels like the right way to do it as opposed to I agree. Everybody has to use these new tools in order to document text. You're like, oh, just put it in Word and email it to your technical <laughs> I'll put it in Word and I'll export it as a PDF and I'll attach there it you in go. email. <laughs> oh my God. That's how we used to get screenshots for everything. An emailed Word document with a screenshot in it. Like, Good luck searching for that. You're listening to Working Code. And now your hosts, who wish they were Boolean, so the next time they're wrong, it's only by a bit. Adam, Ben, Carol, and Tim. Okay, here we go. It is show number 88. And on today's show, we're going to discuss documentation, which... Wow. If you continue to listen, I applaud you, but uh, we're going to try to make it interesting. <laughs> but as usual, we'll start with our triumphs and fails. Carol, why don't you go first? Yeah, I'm going to go with a big giant triumph because I'm not letting any failure stop me this week. So <laughs> I think that is winning because it's failing around me everywhere. Last week, I told you guys that I had like this panic attack, anxiety attack and ended up needing to see a doctor and it was great. This week, my dog decided to eat a rope. And a rope. A rope. She a decided rope? a rope. She ate it. A rope. It's gone. It, well, it's not now because the vet had to take it out of her. Oh, so, my God. So she ended up in the hospital two nights ago and needed two enemas to get said rope out of her stomach because she decided to eat it. So it had her all blocked up and she was miserable. And today she's back to herself. But that and then I'm working on some code at work for the second week. I've been working on this on and off because I have a lot on my plate. And every solution I have ends me back in the same problem. And I want to stab my eyeballs out because I don't (laughs) want to deal with this code anymore. So I finally got with some guys today and I'm like, do you guys see this problem? Do you see why this will never work? It'll never work because we didn't design it right up front, which happens. Sometimes you don't think of how to grow something and you don't think it's going to need multiple solutions. So it's either I hack it and it's going to look pretty bad or I rewrite it, which means now there's like four ways of doing this. Mm. So weighing it out, there's no good solution and it hurts. It just hurts trying to figure out the ugly way or the ugliest way. Which one do I go with, you know? (laughs) So... Lipstick on a pig. Yeah. Can you tell us at all what the code's trying to do? Yeah, sure. So we have this mapping service ultimately is what it is. So we have this mapping service that tries to figure out how I want to match two of these transactions together. So basically they can have a parent-child relationship. So if you have the parent order, then you want to get some of the information from the child because that means they've already done the work. So let's go ahead and get it all moved over. Well, Everyone assumed up front that we would only look up parent-child based off of one lookup condition. So you send through depending on what type of order it is. I want to look up by a number or I want to look up by this other value. No one ever assumed that I would want to look up by the first value or the second value. If that didn't match, let's look at the third option. So since everything was written to be a one-to-one lookup Mm. for matching... (laughs) Mm-hmm. and everywhere calls it, it's not super easy to get back in there and go, well, now let's just run it again. Because ultimately, that's what I'm going to have to do is go, okay, 
look it up this way. Oh, you didn't find it, run it again. But since everything's coded to be one-to-one with this new lookup value that I'm going to have to manually override to say, now look it up by the second, because I assume since it's this type, it's always going to be the first value. So it's a terrible situation of poorly designed up front. Well, I I shouldn't say poorly designed, just without a thought of it needing to grow past where it was. So I I couldn't find a good way around it. So, yeah. Yeah, that happens. Sometimes you got to just chalk it up as a prototype, essentially, Mm -hmm. for how you want it to be built and then build it right the second time. Yeah. Or the best way possible without causing too much damage. (laughs) I can't guarantee it's going to be built the best way the second time because it would require giant overhaul. So I'm going to do it the best least of the ugly ways and get through it, I hope. But hey, the dog's healthy. She's doing good. The code will get written and everything will match. And it's okay because it's not stopping me. It's still good. (laughs) So that's me. I'm winning. I'm winning, you guys. Winning. Crushing it. Winning. On it. What about you, Adam? Mine is pretty much the same thing. So last week, I'm pretty sure it was last week, I had just said like, I just got back from vacation and I was kind of crushing it. And making lots of little changes and just building tons of inertia and momentum. And I feel like this week is trying to slap me back for that. You know, just trying to like beat Uh me down and say, okay, (laughs) that's how you think things are going to go. Well, I'll show you. And very similarly, I'm just choosing to to make it a good week anyway. Heck yeah. Yeah, it's been tough. There have been (laughs) days that like the minute that my five o'clock alarm goes off, I'm like, okay, I'm done with work for the day. And I walk downstairs and I'm like, put me to work. Have me take the dog for a walk. Have me cook part of dinner. Have me do whatever. Because I need to be done with work, which means I need to occupy my brain with something else. And I just need to like the... I'm turning that page on the day. It's a new chapter of the day. And that's been very useful and helpful in maintaining my sanity this week. And you know what? To its credit, today went much better than previously this week. So it was Thursday. We've had a couple of days of like really reactive work. Like you come in, you have this plan for what you're going to do in the morning. And by the end of the day, you're lucky if you've even thought about the plan. You're always just putting out fires and Uh, dealing with production bugs and data that got messed up. And yeah, it's just Mm -hmm. rough days. Is summer like a pretty, uh, quiet's not the right word, but I assume during the academic year, there's a lot of reacting to client needs and then during the summer is it can you guys go a little bit more heads down and just do feature development i can understand why you would think that since we do work in in higher education (laughs) yeah (laughs) i admit i had similar thoughts coming into this and unfortunately no that's just not the way it works there's always too much to do and it's just a matter of getting it scheduled getting it done in time for when it needs to be done there there are demands on my time that are time sensitive like going and working at events and that sort of mm-hmm. thing. Those are kind of scheduled around the academic year, but not so much. They're scheduled around the academic year because a lot of these schools, most of them, use their own campus facilities for their events. So they want to do it like in the summer or in the spring when nobody's on campus. And so that also happens to align with decent weather, which, you know, is a plus for doing stuff outside. Yeah, so there's like those things, there's there's preparation and they're showing up and getting it done on site and that and there's travel and that tends to be like, okay, well, this is what you have to do and this is when you have to do it. And then everything else is kind of squeeze it in around then. And when it first started, when we first started doing that side of the business, we only had maybe a dozen customers doing that sort of thing. And so it was 
there was a season to that part of the business. It was like, okay, reunion season is starting and then reunion, reunion season ended. And then there was the rest of the year. And now there's just so many events for so many schools across the country. It seems like it never ends. Like there's a, there is definitely a heavy period, but the rest of the year is just still this like background gotcha. roar of stuff going on. Gotcha. And yeah. So, and then, yeah. And it's like the, this other stuff that we support is not very academic focused, right? Like we we work for schools, but we work for the part of the school that is primarily concerned with generating revenue for the school, which that never stops. Tuition, yeah, and tuition plays a small role in. I mean, it's, I'm sure it's different from school to school, but the majority of their revenue comes from other sources, donations mm. and events and all these other little things. So, gotcha. oh, expensive. It reminds me. I used to work at this place. I think I worked there for like six years and every single year from the first year that I got there, they'd always talk about, oh, December is going to be so nice. It's such a quiet time of the year. Like all of our clients are on holiday and without fail, every December, January period would be like the busiest time of the year because of emergencies or tight deadlines or I just felt like I was getting lied to every single year. And they never stopped with the messaging. It was always like, oh, don't worry. In December, it's going to be super quiet. <laughs> they were just gaslighting you. <laughs> yeah. Cool. Well, that's going to do it for me. How about you, Ben? I'm going to go with failure. And uh, I'm feeling good right now, as you can tell from my chipperness. But mm-hmm. since we last <laughs> met, I've, I've just been f- underwater. And I'm a super effective person in like a really narrow band of operation. And when I'm pushed outside of that comfort zone, like my whole world collapses. And and it's silly things like, so we just moved and we're an hour and a half away from where we were before, which means all of my doctors are now far away. So I have to find a new dentist and I'm overdue for a cleaning and I have to find a new primary care physician and I'm due for a physical and just got the results for my MRI and the doctor thinks I have like chronic tendinitis in my knees. So now I have to find a physical therapist and mm. we've had, I've had internet connection problems. So I got to deal with that. And it's just, and we're moved into the new house and there's all the stuff that goes on with that. And we've had this wasp infestation and it's just like, Oh my gosh. I, I, I don't know how to, I'm not a good, I'm not good at just like making a list of things I have to do and attacking it one at a time. It's like I spend three weeks feeling overwhelmed by the amount of stuff that I have to do, and then I make that list. And I don't know how to do that earlier, even saying it out loud. I don't like it would make sense for me to get off this call and then make a list of the things I have to do. But I'm not gonna like I'm not gonna do that. <laughs> I'm just gonna feel overwhelmed at least through the weekend. <laughs> and then uh, and then we'll go from there. But so it's just life and work. There's just been a lot going on, and I'm not someone who copes with a lot of pressures. I'm, I cope very well with one strong pressure, which is usually work. But the, the moment like pressure comes from other directions, I I very quickly crumble. So. I get it. I can got this, Ben. Got it. I can do it. You can do it. I can do it. Like I feel better today because I was struggling with some code at work, and it felt like after days of struggling that work, the code started to come together and. Things were in the file organization, like the the organization of the code and the files, like suddenly started to make a little bit more sense. I felt like I was on the right path there. The balming power of good code is so intense that it's like it <laughs> right? makes everything else just feel so much better. Doesn't it? So, a solve. Mm-hmm. It can make a day great. Yeah, for sure. So that's me, Tim. What are you gonna close us out with? 
Oh, sorry, Ben. I, I'm going to go with the triumph. You're the only one with the failure today. Sorry, bud. <laughs> well, I mean, Carol and mine were like masked failures in, yeah. in Triumph's clothing. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Refusal to admit failure. <laughs> but but I will say this is my, this is a failure, a long-term failure of mine that I've finally decided is now become a triumph. So <laughs> in the history of my career, like starting out a small company, I was the firefighter guy, right? So I was mm-hmm. the guy that, that was my job. That was my department. The department I ran is like, was just like, put the fires out, right? And so every day was nonstop, walk in the door, check your emails and just fix stuff until you go home. And so that's kind of became my baseline. And to be honest, when you're in that mode, it's a, actually a bit addictive. Yep. Mm-hmm. Right? It's a bit addictive. It's you're fixing stuff. The stuff is broke. It's like the worst stuff that could possibly happen. Your customers are like dying on the vine and you come in and you and your team figure it out and fix it. Right. And then you're yep. like, all right, you have an S on your is chest. It a, right? Yeah. It's that big rush. Yeah. 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 So it's a rush. You get to be like, a hero. You get to be the hero and then you move on to the next fire. Right. So it's yep. constantly putting out fires, saving lives. Now, these aren't fires that you started, but you put them out and that's sort of been my career. And then I'm, I moved over, the, they readjusted things, and I moved over and to the payment side. And I was actually really the only person. I was the only coder, honestly. And a lot of wasn't broken because it was a pretty solid product already. And then when I came over, we totally refactored it and it got even better. And so there, it, a lot of it was, in the beginning was just learning it. And then but just because I was the only person, like there was a pretty good volume of stuff to do. And so, so that kept me happy. But now it's like I got more people because we've been very profitable and we've had very decent growth. When you have profit and you have growth in our company, you get more resources. So it's like I have more resources now. So I have a bigger team. And so there's not a whole lot to do sometimes. And like today was, <laughs> it was kind of quiet. And um, actually, the entire week's been kind of quiet. And I think last week, my my no umph was kind of status quo. Yeah. I had my no umph because I'm kind of feeling guilty. I'm like, what's going on here? I, I'm not needed, right? <laughs> but I've accepted that no fires and having a quiet week, an entire quiet week with no pull the fire alarm emergencies and just steady progress building new products and new features and stuff that are constantly getting in- implemented that's just a sign of well crafted code it it's is. a good thing it's go. not a bad yeah, thing if, to me thing. it feels to me it feels like a bad thing because i personally am like i'm not jumping in here right. and getting my hands dirty but it's like i don't need to mm-hmm. because we did stuff right right you have quality it, it product yeah. it just works mm-hmm. so i'll trade you I, it just works now me saying this is probably jinxed it and tomorrow everything will fall apart and next my next week will be a failure but i mean as of right now it's like we built this thing it's solid it works our customers are happy and i I got an email it's making money it's profitable Mm -hmm. we're growing i got an email today from a customer who she sent me a little picture of a of a ticking bomb she because she said, you're the bomb. I'm like, oh. oh okay. I was like, where are we going with this? About to hit the fans? She, she's like, you're the bomb. Aww. So, so yeah. So, I, but it's like, it was a struggle to get there because I was really just feeling awkward for a good while there because there weren't fires to put out. Right. 
Yeah. And for a long part of my career, I was the firefighter. So yeah, I guess I got to figure out what I am now. So I definitely got a big ego boost with the constantly hearing, go ask Carol. Yeah. Go see what Carol's doing. See if yeah. Carol's available. Have you called Carol yet? Yeah. And when I switched jobs, that didn't happen, right? It was, you're right. going to spend time planning. Mm-hmm. We're going to get documentation. We're going to make sure everything's right. And then we're going to code it. They're like, you're coding things way too fast. You shouldn't be like even putting your fingers <laughs> on the keyboard yet. Hold on. We're not ready. I'm like, what do you mean? It says code. Let's go. They're like, no, yeah. step back, plan. And now we put out quality product. And that's pretty impressive when you're like, wow, it works every time when you go out with it. Yeah. I mean, I told a customer today was pushing me on a deadline. They're like, can we have this? I'm like, you'll have this when it is quality. Yeah. Yep. You'll have this when it's quality. I'm not going to commit to doing this tomorrow for you. Because Good for you. You, 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 know, you know what? You've gone without it for six months. Yeah. And you can go without it for a little yeah. bit longer. You'll have it when it's quality. Yeah. Good for you. Way to stand up for your product and for your team. That's great. Sure. Yep. Now, you mentioned documentation. So oh, yeah. let's talk about that. Every, everybody's Ooh. favorite topic. Yeah. Let's jump back into like a few episodes ago. I mentioned how much I hate even creating Jira tickets. So much so that I copy and paste messages from people and just put screenshots in the messages because I hate writing out things. So <laughs> yeah, documentation is not my thing. See, I'm the guy that when I read documentation in our wiki and it, there's like, I read it and I'm going, okay, I don't fully understand it. And I take the time to figure out what it means. Then I'll go and I'll edit the docs to make it more clear. Mm. Uh, communicating is like a passion of mine, which is a weird thing to say. Although, I mean, look at where I am now. It's really not. Um, yeah. And so like, it's weird to think that like, I might actually enjoy being a technical writer, but I, I don't think I would, I don't think I would be good at it or, or enjoy it long term, right? Like I enjoy knowing a system and being able to describe it and teach it. You're well rounded. Concisely. Yeah. 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 I struggle with documentation as well. Completely understand the importance of it because I, sure. we have some decent documentation. It's not great, but I just love whenever someone sends me a question, I just send them a link to the documentation and go check this section. Right. <laughs> but at the same time, it's like, I know what my hourly bill rate is. <laughs> I know my worth. <laughs> All right. And it's like, and I don't mean this, it's going to sound arrogant and I don't mean it that way, but it's like, it is beneath me to spend time writing good documentation because I, yeah. it takes a long time, right? It takes a good long time. And if you, I could be earning better money doing coding or other administrative things, documentation, but at the same time, many times I'm the subject matter expert on the product. So how do I get that info from me to them in a way that also doesn't waste my time mm-hmm. and but yet results in good documentation? Hello, interns. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> right? yeah, I mean, that. that was kind of my thought. I wasn't <laughs> thinking interns, but you know, if you can have if there's somebody that you can identify that is capable of becoming a backups me subject matter expert, mm-hmm. then you know, it, then they're probably not far from having that expertise to begin with. And so it would be easy for you to take them that last mile or two yeah. understanding it at the level that you do, and then they can rate it <laughs> for yeah. less per hour than what they pay you. And unfortunately we have someone now, she, and I don't mean this any 
sexist way, but a lot of times people who do this job well are females. I don't know why that is. It's just my engineers, observation. Engineers, you mean? Yes. Engineers, yeah. They're yeah. the best. The female, female engineers, engineers I mean, are the best. They're, they're a lot more detail-oriented. because. So we have, she's very good at writing. The first thing she did when she came on our team, she started writing readmes for all the stuff that I never wrote a readme for. <laughs> right, <laughs> I love right. that. Yeah. I appreciate so, someone doing it, but I'm not going to take it on and just do it myself. So, right. Yeah, for yeah. sure. And what's funny is actually she, at one point she was my boss in a former time and, <laughs> and she made a comment in one of our um, one-on-one kind of review things. Like, so like we have our teams chat uh, and she mentioned that one of the things she told me to work on was that whenever I would send messages to like the group or to her, a lot of times there'd be missing words or misspelled words or things like that. And I was like, I was taking them back. I'm like, what, why does that matter at all? I mean, to me, like uh, having teams chat is just a conversation, right? It's like, the point is, did you get the, did you get the information? But she's like, no, you use that for documentation and like proof of stuff. And so to her grammar, spelling, understanding was extremely important to me. It was like, I just wanted to answer as fast as possible and get back mm-hmm. to what I was getting to. Right. Yep. Which is why I should not be the person writing documentation. Right. I get it. Well, what do you think about the dry principle applied to documentation? Dry being don't repeat yourself. And and th- this is kind of coupled. Th- there's another one called wet, which is write everything twice. The idea that you should find duplication in your code several times before you feel like you have a good sense of what the refactored abstraction should be. And I'm wondering if... Would it make sense to apply the same kind of thinking to documentation? Meaning, don't document anything until a couple of people have asked you for it, and then you're like, okay, this is clearly something that needs to be documented. Or do you think everything should just be documented up front? I don't I think, think you should document everything up front no. because then you're wasting a ton of time. It's and just we like make you, changes. Yeah, and just like you don't go through and write a thousand features that could potentially be useful off of the one main thing. You got to right. figure out what is what's needed. Right. We do iterations of things. So I think once we have a final product and we see that it's been adopted well, that's when you want the good documentation on it that shows what the process is, why we went that route with it and what the like what we're connecting to, like what's talking to it, what APIs is it hitting? Like all of that should be there. But mm-hmm. ju- just to make it very concrete, right? So Adam was working on the that nightly data ingestion from the mm-hmm. Universities. Oh, that was painful. It pulls the giant file and splits it up into stuff and SQS and drops all that jazz, a table. Right? Yeah. So mm-hmm. I, I assume initially Adam's the only one touching that. I don't know if that's true, but let's just say for the sake of argument that that's true. You could theoretically document how that works and how someone could get it working locally because maybe like. Sam local is involved and in setting up queues and there's a readme and there's a sure. contributing doc or should like Adam just knock that out. And then when someone says, Hey Adam, I need to make a change there. Can you walk me through how to do it? Then like, okay, now let's document it now that it's not just me and my brainchild. So to answer the question head on, it was, this one is an interesting case because it's based heavily on code that existed. It just needed to be extracted out of the monolith to mm-hmm. help it like separate processing time from a an HTTP request to that processing time and the processing time to actually complete the request needed to be separated. And so a lot of the understanding of the process 
was already there and shared institutional knowledge. The only thing that was new is orchestrating it all together over here. Right, right. I guess it, I did rewrite it from CFML to Node.js. So there was the code is mm. different, but it's all doing sort of the same thing. And so the part that needed to be shared that was new was the infrastructure bits, right? Okay, now it's on Docker containers running on Fargate, con- it scaled up on down automatically using CloudWatch alarms based on right. SQS queue depth. And I know that sounds daunting, but when you like, when I, if I were to give you a tour of it and show you how it works now, you'd be like, oh, okay, that's, that's easy. <laughs> Simple enough. Yeah. The hard part is like, was figuring out how to automate the deployments of all of those things so that you check in a piece of code and it's like, okay, well you modified this. So now I need to deploy this and this, and I need to update these alarms. And, and it's it just, it was kind of nuts, but that's the cloud, right? Everything is, you have so much power at your fingertips, but you have to pay in orchestration and mental bandwidth. Yep. For sure. And to, I mean, to your question, Ben, about do you try to document everything or just document the minimum and then when people need more, you add to it. I'll say the biggest issue that I've seen with our documentation, my personal experience, is that people misunderstand the documentation you have. Mm-hmm. And so the more you have, the more they're going to misunderstand. And they don't want to read anything. Like if it's not two sentences that answers their question directly, they're not going to read it. Right. Yeah. So, I mean, there's a lot of, so like the most misunderstood part is there's, so there's a complete edge case in our system where sometimes, and this happens, sometimes the credit card processors do not give you an answer. You call them, you say, Hey, is this card good? Can we pay this? And they're like, they don't call back. And uh, it's an asynchronous system and it it tries to get it, but it's like at some point you just got to come back with a dead letter and say, can't get it, couldn't 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 get it. Yeah, Yeah. couldn't get it. And so we just kind of leave that status inactive. And our thing is to, hey, recheck this, right? And so we documented this edge case and put it in our documents. And that is the thing that like we spend 99% of our time with implementations with our customers, you know, and they're like, they're all worried about this. And we're like, Seriously, dude, this is really, you're just going to happen two, two times a year to you. This is probably not a big deal. And I wish we almost never documented it and just call it a bug and just fix it after the fact because we can just refund their money and whatever. But yeah, but we have it documented. And so it's like, yeah, I agree with the principle of give them the minimal documentation they need to get going. And then anything after that is a support ticket. See, I think the thing that inspires me, and I think this kind of goes back to one of your earlier questions, Ben, the thing that inspires me to create a new document, you were talking about dry versus wet and stuff. Mm-hmm. When I get a support ticket and the, my gut reaction is, let me go find the docs page that answers this so that I can send you the link and like the passive aggressive here, this answers your question. <laughs> let me and, Google and that, that page <laughs> doesn't exist. It, when that page doesn't exist, that is when I will go write it so that I can then <laughs> paste the link like, oh, here. <laughs> Uh, yo so so here's a spicy take that i had at work one time and i tried to sell people on this but it did not go over well i wanted all of our documentation to be on a single page in confluence like one giant monster size page because hear me out i think people get (laughs) people get drunk with organization and they see that they can have all different kinds of folders and spaces and and they're going to break things out and they're going to link to all kinds of different tools 
And then half the time they're documenting stuff and they don't even know that there's a previous version of that documentation somewhere else in the system that is now out of date. And, uh, and the search on these things is also not great. And so what I wanted to get out of it was the power of constraints. Meaning if we had a single page for documentation, everybody had to see all the documentation all the time, which meant that you had to right. be really intentful in what you wanted to add there. This uh, like this document's already 87 pages long. Is the thing that I'm about to add to it really worth it? And if it is worth it, what's the least amount I can actually say about it and deliver right. that value? And like honestly, more than anything else, I wanted to be able to just command F and find some stuff on the page. Buy yep. anything, right? There was one I was looking at. I think it's the post office. Don't hold me to that, but I think it's the USPS one. Like I'd have to go find it again. But I was recently on one looking at their API docs and it's like that. The left hand has the nav bar that scrolls with you, right. but everything is one like one page. So when I was looking for like what actual special characters they allow in an address, like it was easy to find anywhere that had like an at sign and just look for keywords and just find where I was in the documentation based off of what my left nav bar had highlighted. So I was like, oh, well, they have some of it included inside the API part. Some of it they have included in like address formatting. I was like, okay, so now I know where to look at too. I'm not lost in the context of where, like, where do I even start searching for this if I don't have a good search? So I get it. Like at first I'm like, oh, one page. But then when you start saying, I'm like, actually, it does make sense a lot of times whenever I'm on others looking at it. If it's mine, I'm like, oh, (laughs) one page. It's a lot of content, right? But I have loved when other places have done it. I get mm-hmm. it. I get it. it. It seems to be growing in popularity for APIs specifically. I'll see a lot of yeah. SaaS vendors that have an API and their documentation for the API is exactly what you're saying. It's that left-hand floating navigation yep. and then just a massive page. And I do love it because you can just do command F user and be like, mm-hmm. how the heck do I get the user information? Or like command F address. And now I'm just jumping yep. around. Even if there's 87 matches in the document, well, you know what? I just keep hitting it enter. It doesn't until take I find that long. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yep. I mean, ours for our payment stuff is, and it's not, there's not a huge amount of endpoints. So it's pretty simple. It is a one pager. But I mean, I want to shout out to Adam. I, I use his, his Taffy API for other stuff. And I just use that. Taffy, it kind of self documents, right? As long as I put hints mm-hmm. and everything, it shows up. And so, yeah, it's essentially a one pager because you can do a control F or command F and find what you're looking for in all of it. So as long as you just make sure you you document each endpoint and do whatever, it's self-documenting, which is pretty cool. Well, thanks. <laughs> good. You did good and work, good buddy. And you have good documentation on Taffy. So. Which is, it does use the one pager thing that you guys were talking about, being able to search up and down. Although I do, mine is one page for, per version. So if you uh, want, if you're on version 1.0 of the framework, then you can go to the, the docs for that version. And that way- Oh, you, that's cool. Because I it always bugs me when I'm like, if I'm trying to use Next.js and it's like two or three versions behind, yep. you, it's like impossible to find the docs for that because they just like, yeah. oh, we released a new version. Here's the new docs. And the old yep. ones are gone. For I'm like, but I'm not ready to upgrade yet. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so you're stuck. And that, that always drove me nuts. So that became my, this like bugbearer that I had that I just, that's the hill I would chose to die on at some point. It's like, okay, I will solve this problem. And mm-hmm. I found a way, which is, I just, I, it's separate markdown files and each file becomes a page in the documentation website. And right. yeah. All right. 
So I have a question. I kind of talked about it a little bit earlier as derogatory in a manner of sense, but who should write documentation? Whose job is it? Your job, my job. No, no, not me. (laughs) I really think everyone, everyone should document to some extent, like whether you're just starting the process, get some bullet points out for someone who's going to add to it for you. Like get it going. So they know where to start because when you hand someone a blank piece of paper and say, document, this project and all of the steps to it that I did, number one, they're probably going to be scared to come ask you a hundred questions. They're going to try reading the code and they're probably going to get it wrong. However, if you can give them a few bullet points, like a few key things that says, hey, go start with this, then fine. They can take it, run with it and add to what you've done. So start the documentation, help them. Everyone Mm -hmm. should be responsible for documentation at some point. Somehow help. It helps them. So Help yourself by helping them. I'd just rather have a hundred questions. Oh, yeah, I, I mean, hate that. No. It, I feel like this is one of those things where you can't pull at one thread of yarn in this ball without finding two or three other like loose ends here. Sure. So like, I agree that everybody should write it, but I feel like maybe everybody should write, everybody should work on the documentation that would have helped them, right? Like we're all constantly Agreed. learning and getting better and trying to figure things out that we don't understand about existing code. And when you learn something, you should be codifying that so that it's easier for the next person to learn. And I think that somebody mentioned readmes earlier, like that's a great way to do it for understanding decisions that were taken, that were made processes and understanding like the reasoning behind why the system works the way it works. Right. Yeah. But that's not the documentation that you would give to your customers. No, they're completely different. I do not want to write customer-facing documentation. I want to write what an engineer would pick up behind me to look at. Yeah. Mm. I will tell you my favorite piece of documentation to write at work right now is our onboarding docs. We're onboarding someone new right now. So the first thing I did was like I went through, opened that whole thing and was like, okay, what's not valid anymore? Let me make sure that whenever they start, they have everything we need. So I went and added like what Slack channels they need to be in. I put in a few more little tips that I had figured out for some Mac builds and stuff. So that's my favorite documentation to actually contribute to is the things that people use when they're starting or when they're figuring out something that I know that's going to help them. Hmm. Onboarding docs. Yay. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's just yet another type of documentation. That's like meta documentation for how yeah. to work at the company. <laughs> yeah. yeah. At work, we have technical writers for all of the customer facing support documentation. And cause I, cause mm-hmm. I think, and I think that does make a lot of sense because they interface with the engineers and the product people and they get not just a technical sense of how things work, but a holistic sense of how everything is related. And then they use the public facing documentation to really tell a story using the right types of language that the customers can understand. And that to me feels like a very different type of gesture than documenting why we're using this database or how you make these API calls. Yep. Yeah, at my government job when I was doing it, our technical writers were psychologists. So oh, not only yeah, they actually had the mindset to understand how workflows related to human interaction. So they Dang. would make sure the documentation made sense to what people actually thought. So even if we didn't design it the way that it was laid out, they presented it in a way that people would understand how to use it. So yeah. Tax money. Exactly. Thank you for I was about it. to say. <laughs> Tax dollars. 
But hey, it worked. The documentation was amazing and easy to follow. Cool. So I, I don't, I've been kind of looking for the right spot to put this in here. And I don't know that this necessarily is it, but I definitely want to make sure that this makes it into the show. So there's this system for documenting things that I like. And it's been a little while since I've read through it all. And it's a whole thing. There's no way, like we could probably spend an entire show just on this system. And it's called the four types of documentation. And like I said, we could spend a whole show on it. And I don't think we would really get into the depth of it, but the Basically, the four types are laid out on in a grid system. So the grid is like on two perpendicular axes. And across one axis, is like left side is most useful when you're studying. Right side is most useful when you're working. And then like the up and down axis would be the top is like practical steps and the bottom is theoretical knowledge, right? So that kind of gives you these four grid spots. And so like tutorials are learning oriented. They're useful when you're studying and they're practical. And then I guess working my way around the grid here. So uh, practical when you're working is like how-to guides. They're problem oriented, useful when you're working and they're more theoretical. That's like reference information. It's information oriented. And then the last one is explanation docs. It's like when you're studying, but it's more theoretical. And it's just, it's like on to help you understand things. And so if you can kind of think of like, you need to write four different types of documentation for any part of a system, depending on who the system is for, some of them might not necessarily be necessary or de-emphasized, but breaking it up like this has really helped me, I think, write better documentation because it helps me understand the goal of that particular document, right? You're trying to write a tutorial and a reference in one document. You're like not gonna work. diametrically opposed, right? So right. Yeah. you got to understand the audience and the goal. Hmm. Yeah, that's really good. Yeah, I, mean, I have to look I, at this. I typically only do the information-oriented reference, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like email me if you have a question. But I imagine yeah, if, if, you have a, if you have a much broader user base than I do, then the yeah, tutorials, how-to guides, and explanation would be super helpful to have. Right, yeah. So like when I was originally writing all the documentation for Taffy, the two that I spent the most time on were the reference and the how-to guides, right? So the reference is like, here's a list of every method in the framework and where it is and Mm -hmm. how it changes over different versions and what each method does versus the how-to guide is like, okay, so now you want to enable cores, cross-origin resource Mm -hmm. sharing Mm -hmm. for requests. Here's how you do that. And here are the pitfalls that you can run into and how to deal with those. Like those are two totally different types of documentation. Right. That's cool. Useful, yeah. I I just remember... Back when I was reading more books, more technical books, the ones that I really enjoyed a lot were the cookbooks, which was, to Adam's point, like very problem-focused. Like, here's a 400-page book, and inside it is 172 basically frequently asked questions about some sort of framework. like recipes. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. And it's great because it not only... Is it problem-oriented? So it has a lot of overlap with what you're doing, but because it's problem-oriented, you're also getting a lot more inspiration from problems that you don't necessarily even have, but you're like, oh, okay, this is kind of interesting to even approach it this way. Now I have that scrolled away in the back of my head. I also think, I mean, so a lot of the kind of APIs and things that I consume that will also have a support form. And a lot of times when I can't figure out in the documentation, how to solve something the, the best thing is like finding like maybe it's typically an error message and i just go put the error message in their search or on their form and someone else had that exact same problem yep or multiple people had the same problem right 
and uh, and then just seeing what the response was. Those tend to, I mean, those tend to deal with the kind of like very granular level problems that mm-hmm. you're dealing with, and those are extremely helpful because a lot of times the exact same thing that I'm getting is what they got, and I can fix it based off the response. So I think support forms actually are really a good source of documentation. Yeah, I agree. It's tough because you have to do it well, right? I think that the best support forums that I come across tend to be the ones where they train the users to ask good questions, to provide a clear explanation of what they did try. Lots of detail, yeah. Yeah, and where the community helps each other out. How many of us owe half a salary to Stack Overflow? Come on, (laughs) let's be be clear. I raised my hand. Okay, so I guess let's move on. So when you're writing documentation, do you guys have any like favorite tools or like how do you, what do you use to write your documentation? Where do you store it? How do you share it? I mean, is it a favorite or is it just what we use? We use Confluence, the Atlassian product. I mean, it's totally fine. It's just a document storage <laughs> system and it puts it all in there. You can search for it. I can search across all the projects, so all the projects in the company. So anywhere I want to find like where we're using modern appraisals, I can go find any documentation that anyone's written that ever references modern appraisals. So it's good for that, for having all of it together. But I don't know if it's the best tool. Like it's just... To me, it's no different than like a notebook. Like it's just mm. all there. It's not really organized very well unless the owner of that project actually takes the time to organize it well. And mm-hmm. most of the time, it's just a document that says how to, which doesn't really help all the time. Yeah, we use Confluence at work also. Yeah. So, so three stars is what I'm hearing. Three out of five. Well, I mean, I think if it's used right, it's great. Just it. We have some legacy stuff and it probably wasn't all set up correct. So we have like a folder that says how-to articles. It's not all how-to articles, just like the Mac build-out process is inside the development folder rather than inside the Mm. onboarding folder. So I don't know why they're split out. Like, (laughs) Yeah. So I used to GitHub Readme for the developers. It's the super basic, too long, didn't read, the TLDR. Mm -hmm. Right. So it's basically a, a, a recap of basically how to install it locally. Right. Mm-hmm. So it's just developer. You want to, you're pulling down this repo, you want to install it and run it locally. Here's what you need to know. And then a GitHub wiki for more in depth kind of understanding of uh, here's the gitches and gotchas about each part of this project that you're doing. But for customers, I mean, customer, these are private repos, so obviously the customers can't get it. So we just have our own point of presence website that has the uh, how they implement, because all of our stuff is API driven. So how do you implement this API? How do you, what are the endpoints you can call? What can you pass? What do you get when you get back? It's, it's all swagger. So yeah, so it's really it's kind of a combination of three things. We don't use Confluence. What about you, Adam? So we have, we use a product called Gitbook, which is basically a Git repo full of markdown files and you can put them in folders. You can include images and that sort of thing. And then every time you make a commit and push it up to the GitHub repo, it triggers a rebuild of your doc site. So it's like a static site generator based off of markdown oh, that's and cool. folders and stuff. And it's got some nice features built in. Occasionally we run into things that are frustrating, but the way that we're using it is free for us, which is nice. And one thing that I don't think I could live without is doing it in a Git repo because like yeah. we have started using a GitHub wiki for like internal documentation. For example, 
we are switching from ORM to handwritten SQL in DAOs. And so in order to make that process easier, we have a new like base DAO that provides all the simple CRUD. You just like you create a, a new component that extends the base DAO and you tell it, okay, this is the table name, this is the primary key name, these are this is the list of all the fields. And I think that's like that's the minimum of all you need is like, okay, it has a this is the column name, this is the type, and this is the max length or whatever for each field. Okay. And the default, and it will do all of the CRUD for you. So then you get like, oh, cool. Create, read, yeah, create, read, yeah. update, and delete methods mm-hmm. for that. And it'll, all of them return a query with one row in it, unless you request multiple. Anyway, and that sort of thing is great. And then it starts to like, oh, it would be great if it could do this too and do this too. And so it starts to grow. And so we started writing documentation for this base DAO in our GitHub wiki. And the thing that drives me nuts about the GitHub wiki. You would think they, that the company and the people that work at GitHub would have a fond appreciation for what Git can do for you, especially in terms mm-hmm. of like multiple people working on the same file at the same time. Um, yeah, versioning. Yeah. Versioning <laughs> and merge conflicts and all that. And it, it blows my mind that GitHub has been around for like a bit, it's probably what, a billion years now. And yeah. it just hit 20. Yeah. And, and yeah. still the wikis don't have Git. I think, honestly, I think there was a time early on when like you could, there was like a special URL to get your wiki as a Git repo, but I don't think it's around anymore. I wish that it was because, yeah, yeah, I I wish that it was because that would be great because right now what happens is I'm editing the, a page in the wiki and then it just, a red message appears at the top that says somebody else has updated this document. Please refresh the page and make your changes again. And I'm like, but I've been working for 25 minutes. (laughs) This is called a merge. Yeah. (laughs) And I don't know what I changed. I just started reading yeah. and, and fixing stuff. And it's so frustrating. That would be super so, frustrating. So And so because of that, what I've started doing when I need to make changes in the wiki, I I completely forego the like commit message that you put in at the bottom. I just, I try to make my change as fast as I can. I like edit, click the edit button, find the section, make the change and hit save. Because uh, I don't so want do you, to get stuck in that situation where I've got a m- bunch of changes made and then somebody else made other changes and committed theirs. Do you do it in the browser or are you doing that like in your ID? Okay, yeah. I was Yeah, yeah. I mean, it has to be in the browser because there's... Like, well, no, there, I mean, oh, I'm specifically talking about the GitHub wiki, not yeah, just GitBook. the wiki. Oh, okay. Gotcha. I got them flipped in my head. Sorry. Yeah, yeah. That's okay. Yeah, so yeah, the GitHub wiki, you have to do it in the browser and yeah, there's like it's easy to butt heads with other people and step on each other's toes and all the idioms. And (laughs) (laughs) it's, it's so frustrating, but at the same time, like it's also so easy. So like if you're the only one working on the project, it's a great tool. If there's two of you, you can make it work. If there's five of you, that's when it starts to get frustrating. If there's 50 of you, you don't have a chance. It's not even possible then. Yeah. You have to task someone with that being their job. You're only responsible for this because nobody else can touch it. Yeah. So uh, another tool that I wanted to bring up, uh, I haven't got any experience with it, but I see it used a lot in open source stuff, like, probably because it's free for open source. But there's a great tool called readthedocs.com, which Ooh. I get the impression that it's a lot like Gitbook. Like you get a GitHub wiki of markdown files. And it looks to me, at least with the current version, that you can have like multiple versions. You know, how I was saying this was like my pet peeve, my bugbear for the Taffy Docs was being able to maintain documentation for different versions of the framework and allow you to browse the different versions. It looks like that feature is supported here too, which would be nice. Oh, that's cool. 
And I think that it's otherwise somewhat similar to Gitbook, right? Like markdown files that generate a static site. It says it does have version documentation. There you go. There you go. Not sponsored. No. (laughs) So I think the thing we struggle with is like keeping everything updated. So even when we write the documentation, nobody updates it when the process or like, so say we write the documentation, like, I'm only thinking of technical documentation because I don't do any customer facing stuff. So I just think of the technical side. So we will write technical documentation inside for like how a process works. So we'll lay out like the steps that are needed, like what it applies to. So what you would need if you wanted to go make edits to it, you'll understand kind of the whole flow without necessarily having to understand all the code. So, but when someone comes behind you and they have a story to make a change to it, if we don't add a story that says update the documentation, we mm-hmm. forget to update the documentation. So then yeah. I have new people coming on board and I'm like, oh, you want to know how you solicit new work? Go read the solicitation documentation. And then I open it and I'm like, don't read the solicitation documentation because that's <laughs> not how we solicit work to anyone anymore. I'm so sorry. <laughs> Go watch this video. I'll make you. <laughs> yeah. Updating's hard. Yeah. A lot of the docs that I write are customer facing and I feel like the biggest frustration for me is screenshots. So in order to make things clear on like, okay, I want you to go to this screen and click this button. It's the clearest way I can think to communicate that aside from people with vision-based disabilities is a screenshot with an arrow on it, right? Mm -hmm. Like here's Mm -hmm. the thing, here's where the button is. This is the whole page. The button is in this corner and it points to it. And then the UI changes and like that yeah. screenshot is instantly out of date and it's so frustrating. That's the thing yeah. I have a problem I have with Amazon's documentation. A lot of their stuff, you, you Google it, and it's oh, like yeah. it's old. They change yeah. their screens like every year. I'm like, this doesn't even look the same anymore. It doesn't look the same. <laughs> I don't know why I don't to click. Because I'm not yeah. reading it. I'm just looking at the images and following the <laughs> steps based off what your images have arrows pointed to, okay? <laughs> yeah. Our usage of AWS stuff, I would say, is, I don't mean this in a negative way, but like immature, right? We're not using cloud formation and infrastructure as code stuff. We're mostly doing click ops, right? Go in the AWS mm-hmm. console, click around to you do the things that you need. And so when we started, for example, when we very first started using Fargate, it's a complicated thing to set up. And so we would like write a readme with all the steps and then you go back the like three weeks later. Yeah. And the whole wizard that you have to go through has changed and different. And it's so frustrating because the things that you need to accomplish are the same, but the steps are in a different order. They've got different names. I don't envy them because you yeah. want it to be, you want the tools to be constantly improving, but the documentation is an important part of that. So actually I do have one other thing that I want to talk to you guys about. The... Something that I'm not great at, that I'm trying to get better at, is taking notes when things are happening rapidly. Like there's an incident, like we've had a bunch of this week, Mm -hmm. and you're dealing with things, you're running SQL queries in production, and you're updating data, and you just want to be able to roll back if you need to be able to answer questions about what you did. And so like like I said, I'm not great at this, but I want to get better at taking notes as I do those things. Do you guys have a, a an approach that you use, a tool that you use to, to just log that sort of stuff? So is this documentation or like after action? Neither. For me, what it is, like there was a period where I was trying to just take notes my entire workday and I had like a, a note file dedicated to each day. And the thing, it started out as like a to-do list, but then as I 
finished up the, or as I went through my day, as I made decisions or as things were interesting, I would write down the details so that in three weeks, when somebody asks me about it, well, why'd you do it that way? Or what was that thing that you did that, that had this other effect? I can go back through my notes and say, okay, I did it on this day and this was why I did it and whatever. And I feel like having that daily note would be really useful for incident response type things. But how often did you actually need to pull that out? I think that what that that note is really good for is just understanding all the steps that were necessary to put the fire out after it's mm. out. So sometimes when the fire is really bad, you've got... Mm people screaming or whatever. It's like, there's a temptation to just push on it and solve the problem and solve the next problem, solve the next problem. And then you go at the end, you're like, okay, but what did I do? And like, what actually fixed this? Right. Yeah. Yeah. Don't, I mean, I get where you're coming from. I don't think I ever kept like a note file of it. Like you did typically knew in general, what I did to put the fire out back when I was in my firefighting days. And there was two versions of that, right? There's the internal one that was like, oh yeah, we screwed the pooch on this one. And there was the external one to the customer. I was like, so here's what happened. Mm-hmm. It's right? all fine. Yeah, it's good now. And mm-hmm. yeah, there was a little bit of a problem. Yeah, but it, you don't <laughs> divulge. Some you swamp don't, gas and, and cosmic yeah, rays. Yeah, exactly, right? Yeah, you don't yeah. just, yeah. But I mean, yeah, I never yeah, it's, it's interesting. I, I never kept an entire log of it. At work, when we're having an incident specifically, we have someone who is the dedicated, what we call the incident commander, and their whole job <laughs> is to take the notes during the call. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> I just thought of a pop culture reference that's in, entirely inappropriate. <laughs> after show. It's also the after show. Yeah, so because everyone is so mired in getting the fire put out, we have someone who's mm. specifically there to get information from the people who are doing the firefighting and relay it to the rest of the team. And that's been pretty helpful because that person doesn't have to panic about figuring things out. And the people who are figuring things out don't have to panic about relaying information. So I'd mm. say that's historically been very helpful. That's a good point. A lot of times we'll just jump on a call, right? So all of us are on a voice yeah. call together and one person is not necessarily hands on keyboard and they're just there to kind of monitor and they're yeah. the ones who can remember what the fix was and what the problem was. Another thing that I do that I've started doing in the last couple of years, and I can't tell you how much I enjoy doing this every time, is I put into the Slack chat, we use Slack at work, I put into the Slack chat or I put into a Jira ticket every single SQL query that I run. If mm-hmm. I'm in the middle of trying to figure something out, I will say, this is the query that I'm running and I'll paste it somewhere. And I'll be like, and these are the results that I got often in a screenshot. Mm-hmm. And that way, weeks mm-hmm. later, I can come back and say, how did I do that? Oh, right. Here's that query. Because oftentimes I'll then have to run that query again, but some variation of it. And it's been right. so awesome having those queries documented. That's one thing I love about uh, Aqua Data, the, the SQL tool I use, is because it keeps a history, like every single one you run. And so you can just All go back your queries, and, yep. and pull the, yep, pull those up and say, all right, here's mm-hmm. what I ran. Yep. Nice. Yeah, I would open up my logs or like my history folder and do a search. I'd be like, product table. Yep. What was the last hundred queries that contained product table? I'm like, oh, okay, there was the one. That's the one I knew I need. Yeah, that's yep. pretty cool. So documentation is important, but nobody likes to do it. So except Adam. Except, yeah, except me. one thing that drives me crazy is every now and then I'll be on a team where in order to do the documentation, I have to learn some totally new technology like, Uh. uh, like 
Swagger or Open API or hey. something. And then it's like, and then it takes me like hours just to figure out how to document something that I could have just done a triple back tick and did a little <laughs> JSON blob. But instead, it's like this crazy referential API building. And I'm not saying that that stuff is bad. I'm just saying keeping the barrier to entry super low for documentation feels like the right way to do it as opposed to I agree. everybody has to use these new tools in order to document text. You're like, oh. Just put it in Word and email it to your technical <laughs> just, I'll put it in Word and I'll export it as a PDF and I'll attach there it you in go. email. <laughs> oh my God. That's how we used to get screenshots for everything. An emailed Word document with a screenshot in it. Like, <laughs> Good luck searching for that. Yep. All right. Good Let's kill it home, there. Guys. Yeah. yeah. So this episode of Working Code was brought to you by Confluence, the solidly three-star documentation tool. (laughs) If you're enjoying the show and you want to make sure that we can keep putting out more of whatever this is out into the universe, then you should consider supporting us on Patreon. Our patrons cover our recording and editing costs, and we couldn't do this every week without them. So special thanks to our top patrons, Monty, Gavin, and Sean. Thank you. Three bagger. (laughs) If you'd like to help us out, you can go to patreon.com slash Working Code Pod. All of our patrons get early access to new episodes and our after show. Tonight on the after show, looks like from what I'm seeing here in the list, we're going to talk about kids that don't know how to email, telling your you're telling your kids your salary so they go to college. And yeah, we're going to have to do the incident commander, what sure. that reminded yeah, me of. Yeah, I need to know more. So uh, your homework this week, you know what? I want to do it again. Let's do, leave us a review. So if you would be so kind, go to workingcode.dev slash review. We've gotten a couple of nice reviews lately and we want some more. You know what? Honestly, I'm happy to say out of all the reviews I've seen in there, they're all still five stars. And I really appreciate each and every one of you who leave one in there. So thank you. Uh, workingcode.dev slash review. Not me. I want more haters. I want more haters. <laughs> but don't leave it in the review. Tim's no, email okay. addresses. <laughs> <laughs> we would, as always, appreciate if you have any topics or questions that you'd like us to cover, you can send those to us on Twitter or Instagram at workingcodepod. You can join our Discord and Chat along with the rest of our listener community at workingcode.dev slash discord. You can email us at workingcodepod at gmail.com or you can send your voice memo there. It's easy to record a voice memo on your phone. Email it to us at workingcodepod at gmail.com and we'll play it on the show. That's it for this week. We'll catch you next week. And until then, remember, your heart matters even if you're an underpaid technical writer. (laughs) You've been listening to Working Code with your hosts, Ben, Carol, and Tim. If you're enjoying the show, please feel free to rate, subscribe, and review on your preferred podcast listening platform. We really appreciate that effort. We'll catch you on the next episode of Working Code.